You're listening to Rosie on the House. And as we go around back this morning on a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, we find Farmer Greg, who's got his hands and fingernails just full of soil. It's plant season, and we've got a a great event today called the Great American Seed Up. It is um, it is an event where we put uh, 2,600 pounds of open pollinated seeds in a room. In okay, indi- how indi- much does the average seed weigh? Boom. <laughs> Oh, so, so, so we're here with Bill McDormand from Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance as well, and he's a longtime seed saver. I'm going to pitch that question to him. How many seeds in a pound? Cabbage seeds, probably uh, two hundred thousand. And you've got twenty six thousand or twenty six hundred pounds of seeds. Twenty six hundred pounds of seeds. You've got enough to germinate, I think, enough food for the whole city. That's the point. That's exactly the point. That's the reason we started doing this event is because we wanted to make Phoenix seed secure. Seed secure. Yeah. What type of seeds would I find today? Uh, All the popular vegetables, herbs, and uh, even some of the heritage grains that were grown here in the valley of generation or so ago when uh, when Phoenix did grow way more of its own food. And Mr. Bill McDormand, let's talk a little bit about your history and the Rocky Mountain Seed Foundation. It's Seed Alliance. Seed yes. Alliance. I yeah, apologize. we're a grassroots organization that want to see this happen all over uh, the Rocky Mountain region. Uh, and why a region? Because, you know, the what we talk about and what we teach as far as seed saving and, and having events like this is universal. But you know, once you save some of your own seeds, it's easiest to share them with the people right around you. I mean, stuff that works in Phoenix isn't going to work in Denver. It's not going to work up in Missoula very well and vice versa. And so, we, you know, we're a diverse region um, of uh, peoples that live outside the mainstream. This is not Iowa, people. And if you've moved here, you, you learn that really quickly. And so we're the fringe climate people. So we're, we're saving seeds for hot deserts, high mountains, or whatever. And then when we get them, we share them with the people right around us. And so that's why we're a, a regional Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. And what we're really doing is what people all over the planet are doing. And we're kind of all looking up now in the early 21st century and going, you know, maybe it's a good idea to shorten our supply lines, especially for the things that are essential. And then the other big factor that's coming in is that once people start doing that, they realize that, hey, it's healthier. It's better food. It tastes better. All the superstar chefs want to have local. They want to have something that only they're growing. In fact, Dan Barber at the Stone Barn just started his own seed company. So he could have varieties that he's breeding right outside his restaurant for the kinds of pasta and dishes that he creates that only he has that are tuned to his flavors. And so, you know, you, you can get into this on a lot of different levels, but it's a, it's a movement worldwide, and we're just part of it, and we're happy. And today the Great American Seed Up is at? North Phoenix Baptist Church, which is at uh, Uptown Farmer's Market on Central and Bethany Home. And we're going to be open from 10 until 2. Walk-ins are welcome. Just come on down. So when you walk into the room, I want to touch on that real quick. When you walk into the room, it's a 10,000-square-foot room. We have a classroom off to the side because we give classes at 11, 12, and 1 on seed starting, seed saving, and growing in containers. And the seed room itself is 5,000 square feet. And so you walk into this room, and we put all this individual seeds in different 
um, and different popcorn buckets. So for glass gem corn, there's a popcorn bucket, a zippy, a little Ziploc bag, a business card with what glass gem is and how to grow it. So that you just walk up to the bucket, you scoop up your the amount that uh, is uh, in the scoop, you put it in the bag, put a card in there, and put a hash on your little uh, sheet that we give you. So it's really a it's a bulk buy, and um, you know it's it's you know come and scoop. Well, because we let you package your own, you can get as much as you want. You can kind of see and feel and touch the seeds, but ninety percent of the cost of a packet of seeds is the packaging and the delivery system right. to get them here. That's how it works. There's hardly more than three cents worth of seeds in any packet you get down at your local nursery or big box. And if I go and I buy a bunch of bulk seeds today, yeah. um, but I've, I've, I've already got, you know, I've got Roxy's birthday this week, you know, I've got the rodeo next week, and I'm not going to be able to stick them in the ground for a couple weeks. How long will they last? Decades, probably. So I have time. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You I know, have time to put them in. No, we, you know, that's one. Of, we we teach one of the courses we teach is how to store them. But um, uh, seeds last way longer than we've been led to believe by a system that wants you to buy them every year. And so once you get back in underneath and learn about it, if you keep them cool, dark, and dry, most seeds will last for decades. And and even though some of them might start to die, if you're a home gardener, that does that's not a big deal. Just plant some more of them. I mean, that would be devastating to a big industrial farmer who has to depend on germ, high germination rates. But for home gardeners, even if only one seed works in 25 years because it's an heirloom seed from your grandma or whatever, it still works. And because of that, you have kept alive that whole strain. It's all in each seed to start over. And so they're pretty magical little creatures, actually. And this leads me to a question that it may put you on the spot, but I think you're probably going to have an answer for me if you were able to answer in, in just a matter of a few seconds how many celery seeds are in a pound. <laughs> One seed, let's say from a tomato plant, and you put it in the ground. And how many how many seeds is that one seed going to produce once the vegetables are mature? Oh, it's, my God. It, it's Thousands? A, <laughs> more, more than most people would need for the rest of their life. Yeah. And that's just one iteration. I mean, if you think about it, it's an infinite amount. And that's all packed into that one seed. You know, when we go into schools, I like to use the lingo of the day. And so if you think about it, that's a hardware and software package that allows itself to self-replicate. We don't have any technology that does that. We've got 3D printers now, and I have a picture of a 3D printer that printed a 3D printer. <laughs> but no electronics, right? We, the, the brain isn't there. We can do the physical part, but that's as close as we get. Seeds have the brain, and not only that, it's AI. It takes information in from the garden you grow it in and begins to change its own DNA with selection over time. And so this is really a magical and powerful system that we can, you know, that electronics have finally given us, you know, the language to try to describe it. It's just kind of a blow mind. Yeah, and I want to kind of dig in a little deeper to that. So when he says that, basically what's happening, when you plant seeds in your yard, I've got uh, about a half a dozen different varieties of seeds that grow at the urban farm that are annuals. So they plant themselves every year, they grow out, they make seeds, they spread the seeds on my property, and the seeds come up again the next year. So I've that's one of the things I've been nurturing. But the more that happens in your space, the more acclimatized those seeds 
are for your space, the better they are for your space. So they're, when Bill says they're improving over time, that's what that means. They're adapting to this climate. Yeah. And that's, again, today, 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Yep. GreatAmericanSeedUp.org. Yeah. If you'd like to join the conversation or ask a seed question, we've oh, got Oh, yeah, do that. In. Ask us questions. one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. You can text to 411-923 or send an email to info at rosieonthehouse.com. If you joined us last week, we had Emily Rocky up from Tanks Green Stuff out of Tucson talking yep. about soil prep. Oh, she's and great. It's you know, the, the the seed as impressive as it is. Uh-huh. You go stick it in the dirt next to a creosote, and you're probably not going to see anything happen. Yeah. You, it's it's only as good as the soil you're putting it in. So exactly. If you were with us last week, you've got your soil prep down. Now yep. it's time to do something with that soil. Right. That's planting seeds and. Fall in Arizona is now's the, the time to get time. your garden in. Yep, now's the time to get your garden in. In fact, that's the reason we do the Great American Seed Up when we do, so that people can stock up on their seeds, uh, and by the way, learn how to save them and store them. But so that you can stock up on your seeds to start planting, because now's the time we plant for fall now, and literally we can plant fall crops or cold weather crops all the way into January, February. With the exception of brassicas, so broccoli, cabbage, cabbage, cauliflower, you don't want to plant that uh, after about November. Um, and then we start planting the spring and summer f- stuff in February, March, and uh, and then you know ideally we take July, August, September off. <laughs> ideally, yes. Ideally, e- everything yeah. takes July off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's our winter in a way. Well, if you think about it, we've got enough seeds. I, I had not thought of this before that um, you could see the difference from space. <laughs> you know, in other words, if you t- think of the millions of seeds that are in that place that people could scoop up and take home and grow and and hopefully save some of their own seeds, mm-hmm. the impact on Phoenix is profound. And this is yeah. part of a an emerging um, awareness that's really fun to be around. And I think that's the best part. Greg yeah. and I, Greg yesterday was just hooting and hollering last night because it's filled with all these incredible people. It's like Christmas. It really right? is like Christmas. There, you know, the, here's your one tomato seed. It's going to be enough seeds for the rest of your life, but that's in every bucket, you know, and people are just feeling wealthy, I yeah. think. And that energy um, translates throughout the room. Yeah, well, and one of the, one of the things about nature for me that I've noticed over and over and over again is that the only place that lack this notion of lack lives is between our ears, because when I look at nature, when I look at my yard, when I look at the amount of apples that come off of my apple trees and peaches that come off of my peach trees, and seeds that I get out of Rio Red uh, cowpeas and parsley and nasturtiums. It's just mind-blowingly abundant. So I was standing in the room last night. We we run this event on Friday night and Saturday day. And so at one point we had 200 people in the room scooping seeds. And I, over the microphone, I said that, I said, all right, everybody stop and look around. All these people are growing food. It was the coolest thing. It was absolutely the coolest thing. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. When we get back, Jim's going to join the conversation from Chandler. He wants to talk about Anasazi seeds, and uh, we're going to address the the regionals. You had talked about yeah. Denver and Missoula, and you know this this broadcast goes up to Flagstaff. That's a yeah, similar great. terrain. So, is someone from Flagstaff are they going to be able to get 
uh, yes. seeds today that are going to work up there. We'll cover that and more here at Rosie on the House. I've been planting seeds on the ground, watering them with my sweat and tears, scattering them all around. Guess it's what I'm supposed to do with my years. <laughs> Funny thing is, I may know right. what I've Jim's on the line and wants to join the conversation with Bill McDormand of the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance and Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm. Welcome to the conversation, Jim. Thank you. Um, yeah, I had just horrible luck with my Anazazi beans last year. I started them at the beginning of March. Is that the right time to start them? So you're up in Flagstaff. He's in Chandler. Oh, no, you're, Chandler. you're in Chandler? Um, yeah. You know, they were uh, traditionally um, grown in the Four Corners area, and they were uh, probably, we don't, you know, we don't know for sure. They were found in, we think the ancestors to Anasazi beans were found in a, a clay pot, and they really yeah. are from the Anasazi. We don't know how old they were. Um, they're extremely adaptable. So um, to a lots of different conditions, and were uh, primarily a monsoon feature. So they may not have been planted as early as March. I'm not okay. sure. You know what I would say is keep trying. Yeah, yeah. Keep trying because in the diversity of if even a small amount of seeds that you have, you know some of those are going to make it probably, and those are the ones you want to save yeah. and go on with. Right. How's that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, soil is always an issue, Uh, you know, building healthier soil, uh, you know, so make sure that your soil is nice and healthy. Go back and listen to last week's uh, Rosie on the House, our segment on soil. You know, they don't like. I've been listening. They don't like that much water, though. Yeah, just make sure you don't overwater them. Yeah. Well, good luck, Jim. Let us keep us up to date on how those do. And when we get done, we'll, we'll make some bean soup and we'll put some uh, nice. andouille sausage in there with it. We'll bring mm. the Cajun sausage, you bring the beans, and we'll have a little red beans and rice. <laughs> now, you were talking during the break, Bill, about the adaptability of older seeds. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, all the our major food plants, whether they're beans or peas or tomatoes, tomatoes. peppers, they all came from wild plants. You know, they were just growing in the wild, and somebody a long time ago uh, took care to save some of the seeds from the ones they liked that were better, a little bigger, sweeter. Generally, humans like things that are sweeter, so we got rid of bitters, got rid of the bitters and melons and squashes, things like that, easier to harvest. You know, we were selecting so our, we could get our food easier. And so every time we do that, every time we save seeds for something we want, we leave out something. We leave out some of that wild and so the older you go back through um, our, the varieties of things that make up our modern diet, the more natural diversity is in it. So it can adapt to more different kinds of places. So example, corn is basically a tropical grass, 18 to 24 inches tall originally, still grows um, outside of Oaxaca where it was first found. Our evidence is 8,700 years ago. Little teeny hard rocks, black rocks. Um, that's been taken all over the world, you know, that, that there was enough natural diversity in that that people all over the planet, whether you're in Italy or you're in um, uh, the United, United States, actually in, even in Anchorage, Alaska, they're growing corn now. They found a way to, to, to uh, save seeds and adapt a variety up 
in Alaska. Isn't that amazing? Right? So, but all of that diversity was in that original plant. So what they did was go back and find older varieties of corn, not our modern industrial ones that have been bred for real uniformity, but they went back to the older ones and, and, and just saved seeds from the ones that worked up where they were. And everybody could do that. And so we're, you know, we're passing out seeds here in Phoenix. These are all, every variety that we have here, I, I owned a small seed company for 28 years. And I'm still learning, but I learned a lot about who grows what and where. And this is probably the greatest selection of land, uh, adaptable land races that could be put together for the Southwest at this moment. I mean, the, we you mean need the to, seeds that we have at the, the seed seeds. Up. Yeah, the seeds that we have. We have to, you know, be able to buy in bulk. We get them directly from farmers. We put them in in buckets so they're the cheapest you'll ever find them. But we've a lot of thought has gone in. We have Anasazi beans, for example. Yep in there. And so you can take those up to Flagstaff. We have people that take them all over the United States now when they get them. And so the, the trick is, though, stay long enough to take the class on how to save your own seeds. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about that, I think, here coming up a little bit yeah, more on the broadcast. And, uh, and then save the ones that work for you. And then you're adapting those to your backyard and keeping alive a 10,000-year-old tradition that, that made available all the food that we have, actually. How efficient to grow corn in Alaska, and you can freeze it there, too. You don't have to worry. <laughs> oh, no kidding. No, That's good. Very little travel cost. Yeah, just leave it on there and go out in December. And <laughs> The hard part about all of this is not overdoing it. You know, when you, when you get started and you get the garden uh -huh. and— uh, Oh, you mean you, not you, to get so caught up and excited and, and overdo the— the process so you burn yourself out right so i get this a lot at the urban farm because people come onto the property at the urban farm it's near 16th street in glendale and i do tours three or four times a year and people come onto the property and they're overwhelmed by what's going on there and i said listen this happened over 29 years it didn't happen overnight so what you want to do is you want to pick one thing do it be successful at it and then add something else so that we don't overwhelm ourselves. That's part of the process for us. That's a great strategy. Pick one yeah. thing, start with there, and then gradually add on. Yeah. Well, and the other great thing about seed saving, and Greg's a great example of that, when he has a story about how he walked around behind his chicken coop and found basil growing, even though he hadn't planted it there for four years. It was growing and saving its own seed and coming up every year without any work at all. Sit up at night looking for these things, Gary. I think he does. It's like you, it, it always makes me smile. I love that. Whatever the topic, there is a song that has been sung about it, and Gary will find it. Yeah, yeah. when I found this song last night, I just finished listening to it. I was right, Allman he was Brothers. up at night yeah. looking for <laughs> I just I was listening to Southbound by the Allman Brothers and then going to this children's song. I said, What is going on with my mind? <laughs> We're joined with Farmer Greg here at Rosie on the House, along with Bill McDormand of the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, talking about the great American seed up that's happening today at Phoenix Baptist. Yep, North Phoenix Baptist North Phoenix Church Baptist. and the Uptown Farmers Market. In fact, if you haven't been to the Uptown Farmers Market, it's every Saturday morning, and then in October it starts on Wednesdays. It is the rocking market. It is amazing. It's huge. It's in a bow over there. It's done an amazing job of it. So check out Uptown Farmers Market as well. And that parking lot is 
huge. Oh, it's 40 acres or something like that. So there's <laughs> plenty of parking for us. Plenty of parking and plenty of room for uh, exhibitors for, uh, of the farmers market. Yeah, exactly. Show. So you have a, like you said, a, a huge variety of uh, local honeys and goat uh, milk, milk and soaps, and meat and food, and yeah, it's 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 a really rocking market. And around the side, and the uh, is the Great American Seed up in what building? We're in Building B. It's the Fellowship Hall. Okay, uh, and it's uh, uh, it's a big it's a big room. Come on down and check it out. And that's 10 to 2 today. 10 to 2 today, yeah. Okay. Oh, and uh, just so you know, it is $7.50 to get in the door. What that does is that uh, that gets you your classes and, and, a, and a sheet to be able to scoop. So, and classes start at 11, 12, classes start and at 11. 1. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So, seven fifty to get in, and that gets you all the classes from all the great speakers that are going to be there. Yep. Covers the cost of the room and utilities and yeah, the speak exactly. guest speakers. That yep. That's a pretty reasonable deal. I think you would spend uh, for 10 different seed packs uh, anywhere else. Your priority or for 25. 30, <laughs> 25 to $40. Yeah. So here's the other thing about the seed. The, the scoops are designed to give you at least 10 times what you would get in a packet of seeds. So if you're spending $3 on a packet of seeds, uh, uh, basil seeds, uh, you get a teaspoon of basil seeds which has what yeah three thousand seeds in it and um for 75 cents is that what or was yeah. it no they're 75 cents 75 cents. i just filled the bucket so for literally for 30 or 40 bucks you can get all the seeds you'll ever need for the rest of your life <laughs> and it's designed that way it's designed that way and somebody <clears throat> something i just found out during the break uh I've, I've mentioned this multiple times greg is we need to figure out a way to record what the conversation during the break is and offer that on the podcast <laughs> so many times you know the we can do a lot of things here but we can't stop the clock especially when there's a news break They'll right just, you know abc will cut you off they they're very picky well, about gary that. can't you add that so, to the <laughs> podcast that could be a bonus for the podcast i don't see why not yeah there yeah. you go that's we, we need to close that circle because one of the things i learned on that is when you think of arizona do I'm you thinking. think Ancient agriculture. Oh, yeah. Bill, share the story about the ag site that you were talking about during the break. The oldest recording evidence of agriculture in the United States is in a dig just north of Tucson in Marana, Arizona. And that's the first time we found evidence that that hunter-gatherers had stopped and were actually growing something. And it's actually, we think, and there's, uh, there's arguments around it, but... Um, some of the best knowledge is that it was chapalote corn. It was corn that was oh, they're beautiful, um, you know, uh, twelve inch long ears of this root beer colored corn that they grew for flour that they were grinding. And so, uh, you know, a huge amount of civilization had taken place for four thousand seven hundred years. It probably took that long to get corn to move that far north. It doesn't like to go north. Doesn't like the day length, doesn't like the shorter seasons. And every time you go north, that starts to happen. So finally, there's evidence, you know, about 4,000 years ago in Tucson that corn had finally made it. And it took about another 3,000 years. To get it to Alaska? Yeah, no, it took longer than that. It took 3,000 years before you start to see it very much in other parts of the United States. And then it's almost like overnight, corn's everywhere. And it's somebody found a variety that finally worked. And we know that humans pass seeds around quickly. Once we find something that works, we share it quickly. And over that course of time, could you still come back to 
what was that brand? Chapalote. Chapalote. Could I find a Chapalote seed still? Oh, yeah. We've got them, actually. I've got some. We've had them in the past at the seed up. We don't don't have them this year. But um, it's a beautiful, but there are thousands of varieties of corn that it took all the way through that whole process that stopped in little river valleys or were taken to different kinds of places. And that's the general concept we were talking about. As we go back and find these older varieties, they're actually more adaptable. They, you, could t- you could get these corns and take them anywhere. And not all of them are going to work, but there's enough diversity in the population that something probably will. And that's why the gentleman with the Anasazi beans, I'll bet there's some of his beans will work for him yeah. if he just keeps planting them until he finds the ones that work. Well, and we have a, we have a really cool kind of corn that actually, uh, when it was first introduced about, what, four years ago, four or yeah. five years ago, it crashed the servers that was selling it. It was that popular. <laughs> actually, it was the Discovery Channel. So website did a picture. It's, uh, the, the corn is called Glass Gem. And you can go, if you want to see it, um, it's the only vegetable variety I know of that has its own Facebook page. There's about 12,000 12, right. followers from around the world, and people all go on and post their pictures of it. But it is every breathtaking color in the rainbow, uh, fl- from fluorescent pink to blues to whatever. And all of that was in corn somewhere, but it was finally expressed. It was a Cherokee man who was actually a... Uh, taught corn genetics in Oklahoma, Carl Barnes, that um, was playing around with old varieties and crossing them that this variety came out. And I was gifted some, and I took them to Native Seed Search when I was the director there. And we introduced it one time, and the next thing you know, it's crashing websites around the world because the picture it's was stunning. so... Yeah, you can go to Google Images, Glass Gem Corn, and you could start the whole... There are pages of these pictures of this. And we have that. We do have we glass do have gem some of that, yeah. at the CETA. Wow, it's gorgeous. I'm, I'm looking at the picture right now. That oh, could yeah. fit in a cornucopia with uh, vegetables around it. It's oh, very yeah. Thanksgiving-looking, I guess you'd say. Not to give away the entire content of what will be in y'all's classes today, but Bob's in Tucson, and he wants to know about how to start seeds. So maybe we'll uh, bring him on air and talk to yeah. him on, on getting sure. it started. Welcome to the conversation, Bill. Morning, guys. Bob, I'm sorry. Hey. Bob, let me introduce you to Bill <laughs> and hey, former Bill. Greg. Hey. Um, I have, I, I think it's called Teclin, the little tiny red chili pepper. It's like up there with the heat range of the Chiltepin. Right. Okay. And I had a 20-year-old plant that died this year. Oh. And I, I don't know, but usually I let the birds, they eat them off my plant, and then they go up in the tree, and then they plant them in the tree well, but. It's not going to get done this year. How can I? I have some saved. How do I start those plants? Well, you know that peppers co-evolve with birds, probably. You know that birds aren't affected by the heat, and so the original all um, all of our modern peppers, uh, capsicum annuums, come from chiltepines, the the mother plant. It's it's like all corn came from teosinte we were talking about, and. Um, um, birds are the way those seeds were spread. So they're used to being going through their digestive tract. Oh, right. And so you can mimic that with a slight acid um, soak, vinegar. Oh. So that's what I would do is, like, water down some vinegar. It doesn't have to be very strong. And I don't—you may uh, even find—Google uh, up some uh, more specific instructions. But you'll, you'll mimic what goes on in a digestive system of a bird— 
by with a slight acid soak before you plant them. And so that's what I would try to do. And not for very long. Well, I overnight. overnight yeah, I would soak yeah. them overnight and then try to plant them. Yeah, and I would do that given you have a limited supply of these seeds, I'm assuming I would do that with two or three seeds, try and start it that way. Uh, and then, um, you know, see, you know, until you find success, don't use all of your seeds at once. Yeah, never do that. Yeah, never do that. I'm sitting here laughing because you're you're talking about time, and Greg, you're always talking about observing nature. So you could get a bird and feed it a seed and time it to see how long it takes to pass, <laughs> and that's how long you soak your seed. There you go. Uh, yeah, somebody will hear this and do their PhD on it. I'm sure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> There you go. Seeds are a funny things, man. Sometimes it takes fire for a seed to sprout. Sometimes, uh, sometimes there are seeds that only sprout after they've gone through the digestive system of a bird or uh, or another animal. It's they're amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You know, something we do with seeds occasionally in the summertime that. When the flies get really bad, mm-hmm. it's amazing how smart animals and and nature is. But we'll put. Uh, just sunflower seeds in our uh, horse troughs, you know, with the hay, and they'll sit there and eat it. And what that does is the birds then come and scratch at the manure, and it keeps flies, you know, it dries out the manure before the flies can hatch. That's brilliant. <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. I, I learned that one from Mark Salem. I, I can't take credit for that, well, but, but it still, works. Uh, there you go. So there's another use for seeds you didn't even know about fly control. Yeah, no kidding. What wow. a great, you know, observation. This is, we're coming back. We're learning how to see what's going on around us again and find natural, you know, solutions to these problems instead of, you know, trying to spray something. So I want to I touch on the why. Why is it important to save seeds? Because there's, uh, you know, there, there's, what, three companies own? Six, more than 60% of the world's seeds now. You know, if, if the centralization that happened to banks in the 80s and 90s, you know, where we ended up with banks too big to fail. That's what happened to seed companies. And, you know, it's not – they were doing what they wanted to do. They were maximizing their, you know, return for their shareholders. And you do that by increasing profit. And mm-hmm. you do – you increase profit by narrowing the number of products that you sell and getting a few products that you can sell big, right? And that's really great for business, but when you lose 90% – of all the little varieties of things that were spread out all over this beautiful continent two generations ago, all those varieties that were adapted to each little eco-region and cultural niche, mm-hmm. all that diversity was disappeared. And you can argue about how much has disappeared. Colin Curry, who works at the National Seed Storage Lab, pointed out, he said, Bill, you can't count what you already lost. Right. So we mm. don't know how much we've lost. There's estimates that 90 percent of the farms worldwide now um, uh, of the diversity in those farms is gone, even a generation ago. And so, you know, we, we live in an era where it's the local food movement. You were talking about the farmers markets have sprung yep. up all over. Restaurants are differentiating themselves or using local food. All that local food in Arizona, almost all of it doesn't use local seeds yet. Right. All those seeds are coming from some of them, even the certified organic ones are being contracted to be grown in China. Mm-hmm. We are so vulnerable on that level. We call we want local food for resilience. That's not resilience. And so that, again, is why the, the Great American Seed Up is so, so important, important yep. to get us kickstarted again around our own seeds and our own varieties that are adapted to where we are, to our flavors. So. 
What could I become? I'm just a little seed. I could be a sunflower, I could be a tree. And lots of juicy apples could all begin with me. Cause I've got potential, I've got potential. I'm a little seed, I'm a little seed. <laughs> oh my God. Did you sleep at all last night, Gary? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, it's quite impressive to think about these seeds because reality, you're probably not going to sell all 2,600 pounds. And they've been in a dark storage. They're out on display. You're going to be able to put them back in dark storage for anything that you don't plant. I mean, the the survivability of seeds is a miracle. So seeds don't die. We kill them. Usually. Yeah. Usually we, we kill them. So some of the seeds that we uh, have out today are from my original collection in 2012. That was six years ago. They've been stored correctly. And what we did with them three months ago was a germ test. And basically what the government says every 18 months. It depends on each state, but 15 months is an average. You, you need, you're required by law to do an, uh, an official germination test just to see if you're a seed company. So we did that on all our seeds, and all our seeds uh, from 2012, they germ-tested out just fine. Yeah. So it's it's not that seeds die. We kill them. You can, you know, if you leave them in your hot car in the summertime, if there's if it's too humid out, uh, you know, we kill seeds. So don't, you know, treat your seeds like your, uh, your kid or your pet dog. <laughs> well, you know, and one of the other things that we've learned about them is that Seeds are probably the best insulation and protective barrier for seeds. Yeah. So, you know, so maybe some of them will die, even if they get hot, a bag of seeds, on the outside. On the inside, it stays cool and just perfect for the inside ones. So if you ever find a jar of old, old seeds you think are all dead, reach into the center and pull those guys out. Maybe all the sacrifice was so a few of those guys in the center could make it for you. That's just a trick. Yeah. So I want to I want to throw this out too. Um, about oh gosh, it's been about five years ago now. Uh, Bill and Bell uh, and I got together and we created an online seed school. And this online seed school is uh, you can find out at seed school seedschoolonline dot com um, is a, a seven week learning of teaching of Bill's forty years of seed experience. Yeah, just a lot of feedback over the years, a lot of courses, a lot of lectures, yeah. and we just listened to what people and observed what works, you know. And so our the whole goal is to get you up and running. This yeah. doesn't have to be a big, dark, scary forest seed saving, right? You can start with really simple things. There's peas, beans, tomatoes, peppers, and lettuce are the easiest vegetables to save seeds from because they're largely self-pollinating. It means you, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't have to worry about somebody else's pollen coming in and changing your variety. When you save the seeds from them, that is what you get. And so it makes it really simple. And you get your seeds that year with tomatoes and peppers. You can eat the pepper and the tomato mm-hmm. and still get the seeds out. Yep. You know, and lettuce, you know, now, you know, all of us have had that experience with our lettuce where it bolts and goes to seed, right? Oh, no, my lettuce bolted, right? I can't, it gets bitter. I can't eat it. Now you walk out and go, all right, there come my lettuce seeds. You just let it flower, yellow flowers, and when they turn into little parachutes, shake them into a bag or just shake them back onto your own. That's what I do. You know, and so yep. you're a seed, you're an expert seed saver at that point. And so we start with the easy things in this Seed School Online. 
Get you familiar with that. As Greg said, pick one thing you're passionate about. Do it really well. And then you can move on to the more um, complicated things. If you want. If you want. That's what, you know, I have, I have wild, uh, wild lettuce. Okay, it's not wild, but I planted it 10 years ago. I have lettuce, nasturtiums, parsley. Um, uh, cow peas. Cow peas that all just replant themselves over and over and year after year that I don't do anything with. I just, you know, I prep the soil and I feed the soil and these plants just come back year after year after year. Well, and it's Gre- free food. And Greg's famous Phoenix adapted basil, basil. now yep. that just, you know, was hiding behind his chicken coop and growing up, it got a little bit of water, obviously, but it went to seed on its own, seeded itself, grew up, seeded itself, grew up. Well, which what's happening in that process is a lot of seeds are being produced, but only those that would make it in that desert climate are the ones that that grew up and reproduced again. So it's yeah. self-selecting and adapting to the desert really, climate really on its own in his backyard. We celebrate Greg for his expert <laughs> seed saving because he forgot all about that's his That's right, basil. exactly. It's Beyond, not because I did anything on purpose right, but, except but I that, just planted it. But that's the magic, and that's what you miss every time you go down and buy seeds. You know, you don't have something that's adapted to you. You don't have the story anymore. And if you like a particular tomato or pepper, you don't have that particular flavor. You're starting over every Mm -hmm. year. What we're trying to get folks to do is to get back into this cycle that produced all this food from wild plants that's around our particular space and needs and brings resilience and sustainability back into our valley and our lives. It just is a really wonderful thing all around. Yeah, and and the reason for the Great American Seed Up is to get people there to stock up on seeds so they have the seeds they need to plant their gardens and then to learn how to save your own seeds. That is really, that's That's more important than the event. TheGreatAmericanSeedUp.org is the website. You can find more information and details. It's today at North Phoenix Baptist Church, 10 to noon. 10 to 2. 10 to 2, I'm sorry. 7.50 to get in. And then uh, it's just an open form. You walk around, you find a vegetable you want, you scoop it in a bag and you're, you're good to go. Hey, if you're coming down, make sure you find Greg or Bill at the event and tell us you heard it this morning. Farmer Greg, thank you, as always. And Woo-hoo. thanks for bringing Mr. Bill McDormand. Oh, yeah, you oh, bet. We, we love Rosie. Thank you. <laughs>